Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm Angie Fryermuth, one of your hosts today. And I'm Kat McCain. Today we have Andy Bodette, the Program Manager and Regulatory at Headquarters USACE, with us to continue the regulatory series discussion. In the last episode, we discussed how the mission came to the core and where and to what our permit authorities apply. And so today, Andy's going to take that a step further and talk about what it takes to reach a permit decision. So Andy, thanks for joining us today. Before we go any further, we always like to get to know our guests. So Andy, tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to core headquarters. All right, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here and take the opportunity to discuss the the Corps' regulatory program with you. The regulatory mission is to protect the nation's aquatic resources while allowing reasonable development through fair, flexible, and balanced permit decisions, which is a piece of cake, right? You can see right from the beginning, we're in the middle of two very important issues, the environment and development. Uh, there's nothing easy about our mission. That's why it's important for us to get our message out and talk to you guys about regulatory, and I'm happy to do that. My career evolution, uh, I started with the Corps in the St. Paul District uh, in 1998, as an intern in IT, I worked at the help desk. This was so far back, it predates ACID. So when you talk about that, that really scares a lot of people and, and it ages me. Well, the help desk was run locally at the district level, where I spent the first decade of my career doing IT in St. Paul. I climbed from the help desk to the manager, eventually doing network and systems administration. And then one day we were out to lunch uh, with a mis- mismatch of folks and I asked the guy from regulatory, I said, you know, what are you, what are you doing? What's your week look like? I have no idea what you do. And he said he was going out in the field uh, to talk with someone about a proposed residential development. And the forecast for the next day was just as perfect as the day we were eating lunch. It was beautiful and sun, sunny and a perfect spring day. Uh, I enjoyed the outdoors so I could imagine myself being outside and enjoying great weather and getting paid for it. So that sounded awesome. I asked him more about it. I said he was meeting a consultant there who had identified wetlands on the bound and the boundaries of the wetlands. So they're going to review the delineation and discuss potential ways for the development to be uh, shaped to avoid impacts to wetlands. I had no idea what a delineation was, but it sounded interesting. I knew the next day that I was going to be in an air conditioned data center with fluorescent lights, only to see the outside world on my lunch break. And his description of his day sounded better than mine. It sounded pretty appealing. So. I asked him what I could do to potentially get a job like that. And he said, that's your talk to the regulatory chief. So the next day I went out and spoke to the chief, expressing my interest in working on his team. And he said, I appreciate what you do in IT, but you're not you're not cut out for regulatory. So if you work for me, you'd be outdoors with mosquitoes, bad weather, I'd go back to your air conditioned server room and pull network cables or whatever it is you do. And, and thanks for your interest. And that was about how long it lasted. That wasn't the, the response I was looking for, so after two weeks I went back and inquired again, and this time he said, well, you passed the persistence test. When most folks come to regulatory and they express interest in doing a detail, I tell them to go away and at the last I see them. Uh, but you were foolish enough to come back, so I'll give anyone a detail on regulatory just so they can experience for themselves that they're not cut out for the work. Uh, he said your only job here would be to make me and your immediate supervisor happy. So he went on to say because if you're doing your job right, everyone else will be upset with you. If we allow development to occur in wetlands, the environmentalists will be upset. 
And if we try to scale down developers' proposed projects, they're not going to be happy with us. And if we don't make our decisions quickly, then everyone's going to be upset with us. He just summarized our mission in a very different way. Uh, two weeks later, I started my regulatory detail. Eventually, I became a lead project manager uh, with three other PMs on my team. In 2016, I became a regulatory section chief for the northern half of Minnesota. And in January of 20, my wife accepted a job offer in D.C. And luckily for me, I was able to transfer to the Baltimore district in the regulatory program. Uh, so we re relocated to Maryland in February of 20. And six weeks after that, uh, the, the pandemic hit. Uh, and five months into my new job in Baltimore district, I took the position at headquarters as a program manager in regulatory. So I've been at headquarters a year and a half now. I'm still challenged every day. I'm currently the point of contact for 401 and mitigation and assisting with state assumption. I work with the headquarters regulatory team. It's been very rewarding. So thanks for letting me do the intro. Thanks, Andy. Uh, my experience is like I've, I'm from civil works planning. So obviously we don't permit ourselves. So there's the whole idea of getting a permit like from the general public. If I was just Miss or Mrs. Smith, like how do I get a permit and what does the review process look like? Yeah, that's a good question. A prospective permittee, they can obtain an application from one of our core district websites. And once we get the application, uh, we're going to identify the aquatic resources, uh, the delineations I talked about earlier, and determine jurisdiction, which I think you guys covered with, with Jacob and Sarah and the Regulatory One podcast. Let's see which ones we regulate. Uh, then from there, we determine the impacts that we regulate, and that would dictate uh, which review process we follow. So. In our decision-making process and regulatory, we're neither a proponent or opponent of any permit proposal that we receive. Uh, we evaluate it under our process, which we get into, and we render a permit decision. We have no authority to decline to evaluate an application, even when there may be a lot of, a lot of public opposition to a project. Uh, so there's, there's two overarching uh, decision-driving processes in our permit review. There's the public interest review and the 404B1 guidelines. The public interest review is every core permit action undergoes it. We generally have a 30-day comment period for the public to comment on it, as well as stakeholders to send in comments either for or against the proposal. We evaluate and weigh the proposed project for the potential uh, detrimental effects to the aquatic resources against all our 21 public interest factors. So our interest factors not only include the aquatic resource and the natural environment, but also the, the human environment. So we look at socioeconomic factors, uh, historic resources, public safety, things like that. It's important to realize that our review is focused on impacts from the activity that we are permitting, which is often just a, a small component of a larger project, like a, like a highway crossing or big residential development or something, or a mining project. So we fulfill our obligations as a federal agency. We also have to uh, comply with other laws and directives, such as the National Historic Preservation Act, the Fish and Wildlife Coordination Act, uh, Executive Order 12898, which is environmental justice. So all those things come into play in the public interest review. And ultimately, after we consider all those and the best available information at hand, we need to decide whether the proposed activity is contrary to the public interest. So that's the bar there. In order to issue a permit, 
regulation doesn't require a, a determination that the project is in the public's best interest, or that there's some overarching public benefit. It, it's that the proposed action is not is not contrary to the overall public interest. And the second factor our reviews include is the 404B1 guidelines analysis. This just applies to the, the Clean Water Act permits, not the Section 10 permits like Sarah and, and Jacob discussed in the first one. So to obtain a permit, the applicant must demonstrate compliance with, with four restrictions. Uh, there must be no lesser environmentally damaging practical alternative. Try saying that quickly. And when you evaluate that, you're considering costs, logistics, and technology. Now, the second one is it must be compliant with other environmental programs such as ESA and the state uh, 401 Clean Water Act, the, the water quality standards. And the impact must uh, not result in a significant degradation of waters in the U.S., which focuses on, on cumulative impacts. Uh, so not just that project. And the applicant must take the appropriate and practical measures to minimize adverse impacts. So we start out with the, the applicant's preferred alternative. We look at it and we see if there's ways that can avoid impacts. Once we're done with that, we try to minimize the impacts that, that are left on the table. And after that, uh, whatever impacts remain after that analysis, we look at compensating or offsetting the effects. So if a proposed project fails to comply with any of those four restrictions, the Corps should deny the permit. Thanks for discussing the public interest review in the 404B1 guidelines. There's always people that say regulatory is just a hoop to jump through, and there's not much value added um, with a regulatory review. And so I want to get your perspective on that, because we know that regulatory is important. I'm just curious as to your perspective. Yeah, so that's a good question. I appreciate you asking that, Angela. So when we work with applicants, Applicants, we're often telling them that we're trying to fit their square project into our own program. Uh, we need to shave the corners off. This gets back to the sequencing that I just discussed, the avoid, minimize, and mitigate. Uh, so if we can help an applicant completely avoid impacts to the regulated to the public, to the regulated waters, they won't even need a permit from us. So it'll save them time and money and it'll save us workload. That, that's good for everybody. If we can't get the project to completely avoid Impacts and work with them to minimize as much as we can. You know, can we remove a few residential lots here? Can you make the road go this way and avoid this large wetland complex? Things like that. Can we span a stream of the bridge instead of putting in a culvert? Uh, so after we strike the balance of of minimizing as well as allowing development, then we get to the mitigation part. So. How will we have the applicant offset those impacts of the aquatic resources to, to replace those functions and services? So while we don't deny many permits, which I think is what most people are getting at when they say that, we do alter the vast majority of them to reduce their impacts uh, to the maximum extent practical. I think it's good to understand that even though regulatory doesn't deny many permits, um, you do help reshape the activities to balance that protection of aquatic resources with reasonable development as we covered earlier. So can you tell us a little bit more if all permit applications go through the same review process or do you have a few tools in your toolbox for reviewing applications? Yeah, thank you. Uh, we've got individual permits and, and general permits and we'll break those down. So those are the two, two umbrella categories under individual permits. Uh, we've got standard permits and letters of permission. So we'll start with our standard permits. 
these are individually unique projects and they go through the entire review process that we, we covered up above with the public notice, uh, the full blown 404B1 review, and the individual determination of compliance with the other laws and regulations. Our letters of permission are our second individual permit process. The streamlined version of the standard individual process that we just talked about. Uh, so compared to that, it's got uh, a quicker public notice requirements. And these projects are ones that often uh, do not have a large, significant individual or cumulative impact on the environment, but they're not small enough uh, to qualify for general permits, which is our second category, the general permits. These are efficient authorizations for similar activities that result in an individually accumulated minor impact to the aquatic environment. Our general permits can be issued for no longer than five years. Uh, we still do compliance with 404B1 guidelines. We've got a, a standard set of terms and conditions that, that people can review and see if they fit those, those conditions. Uh, the core has discretionary authority uh, to include special conditions outside of the general conditions. We also have the authority to elevate a project. If it comes in, it looks like it fits a GP, but there's a whole lot of uh, public controversy or their impacts to a special resource or something. We can elevate it to an individual permit to solicit more public interest and do more thorough review. And within our general permits, there's we have three types of general permits. We've got the nationwide permits, uh, which we issue at headquarters for all the districts to use. And the individual districts can create regional general permits, which are issued for specific geographic areas. And there's also state programmatic general permits. Uh, they base that on existing state and local and federal programs. Those are designed to avoid duplication of work at the different uh, government levels. Thanks for clarifying the potential permit vehicles for us, Andy. I'm curious, can you tell us some statistics about how much work the regulatory program does in an average year and how many individual permits uh, you issue in a year? Yeah, that's a good question. I appreciate that. And I always like the opportunity to brag about how awesome, you know, our regulatory program is and the hard work they produce in the field. So some statistics we, we keep in our back pocket are annually that we average 50,000 authorizations. You can break that down into the permit types that we just discussed. It's about 3,000 individual permits, which includes the standard permits and the LOPs and about 47,000 general permit verifications. And of those 47,000, we can break that down into 33,000 nationwide permits, 11,000 regional general permits, and 3,000 programmatic permits. Uh, so in addition to those authorizations, our workload also consists of other actions, uh, which we haven't discussed in this podcast, such as the, the 25,000 jurisdictional determinations and 62,000 you know, other permit-related activities like non-compliance and enforcement, uh, no permits required, and, and mod to existing verifications or permits. So we strive uh, to create a, an efficiently run program for the regulated public with that. About 94% of our written authorizations that we issue each year are general permits. Of those GPs that we verify, about 81% are verified within 60 days or less. And the other 6% of our authorizations consist of individual permits, the standard permits and letters of permission. And for those, about 52% get issued in 120 days or less. So those are kind of our broader goals that we shoot for. One thing that we like to emphasize 
that the GPs, which we just mentioned, they comprise 94% of our workload uh, are an important efficiency tool as well as an environmental protection tool because the applicants will design their projects to meet the terms and conditions of the GP so that they can get a more expedited review process. Uh, so we, by us providing the incentive for a quicker review process in exchange for a smaller impact to jurisdictional waters, uh, we're achieving a good job of helping protect the aquatic resources while allowing for reasonable development. So I have a follow-up question to that. You, earlier you mentioned the, the national permits and the, the regional permits as well as the state permits. And then, you know, just some general regulatory information. Is there some place that people can go to um, in general to learn more about the nationwide permits um, and the regional permits as well as just other information uh, in regards to permitting? That's a really good question. It's always good to give folks uh, an idea of where to go to, to find more information. We can only cover so much in the podcast. Uh, so our, our website is USACE, U-S-A-C-E for U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So it's usace.army.mil, M-I-L, and then it's forward slash missions, forward slash civil dash works, forward slash regulatory dash program dash and dash permits forward slash so maybe we can get that in the, the podcast uh, notes or something to help folks uh, get to our, our page where it explains all the different permitting mechanisms and jurisdictional information mitigation all our regulatory announcements uh, we have constant fluctuation and uh, administrations and their goals so our rules and regulations can be swinging different ways depending on which administration is currently in office uh, so it's good to stay updated uh, for the general public to do a little bit of research before they come to our office so they're they're educated and can ask the correct questions to, to help expedite their permit application. Thank you for that. And yeah, I know our our web links are really long. Uh, so we will uh, include that in the description of this podcast uh, so people don't have to remember that very long web address. Thank you, Andy, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.